Welcome to the CMI Global Podcast. The following message was recorded at the CMI Global Regional Meeting on May 27th and 28th, 2016. If you would like to help support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting cmiglobal.info. We hope this message is a blessing to you. CMI will celebrate in October the 3rd through the 5th at our annual convention, our 45th annual convention, and it'll be in Girard, Ohio. How's that sound? Is that closer to home than ever before? And we've been, we've been going through a lot of transition, and uh, we've been working together, the, the leadership of, of CMI. I, I, I figured it out that the, the corporate board and the uh, Council of Overseers have met since November 1st 12 times by conference call. And uh, I think we'd met maybe the last five years, maybe four times, if that, over this. We've been working hard. And uh, this event, and, and two weeks ago we were in Waterloo, and we had 45 uh, registered and, and showed up uh, for that conference. So already between those two conferences, we've doubled the attendance at last year's convention in just these two conferences. It is awesome, and we, we praise the Lord for it. So as we've been thinking about the past, these last 45 years, I, I want to show you five pictures that I believe give us uh, a visual of what the fellowship was, has been, what we've faced, and where we want to go. Uh, and I've chosen boats, all right? So the first picture is a boat of a fishing boat. By the way, that's President Truman for all you Democrats. <laughs> so here is CMI in the beginning. We were just all the same fellows in the same boat. We had fellowship, right? We were fishing. We were having a good time. We were pulling an M, and we were excited. But there was a lot of us who were young then. <laughs> you know, I was in my 20s. I was 25 or 26 and pastoring one of the first CMI churches, and we were having a great time. And we all had an idea of what kind of ship we really wanted. We thought we needed one that was sleek and fast. Let's see the next slide. Yeah, we, we wanted a little more speed. We wanted to make some waves. You know, we just wanted to make it happen. We were having so much fun, and we were growing, and churches were being planted, and we were excited. Well, we, we did grow as a fellowship. We began to expand, and we made some changes structurally. And as a result of that, we were able to offer to churches that, that we had nothing to do with. They, they just said, look, we like what you're doing. We like the, the, the things you're doing for young people and for teenagers and for missions. And we want to be a part of that. Can we be a part of it? So we, we restructured so that we could do that. And eventually, we became the third slide. This is the kind of ship we started sailing in. Man, we were able to go anywhere we wanted to go. No matter the weather, we, we, we went there and we rejoiced. And we were able to eat 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We were able to take all of the resources that were available that we were sharing with them. We were cruising, having a great time. But like with any ship, if you're going to be out on the ocean and the waters, eventually you're going to face some storms. And CMI faced some storms, a bunch of them, a lot of them back-to-back. -back. 
In fact, there was a couple that were perfect storms. And as a result, we got battered. We got beat up a little bit. And it's required us for the last few years to be where the next slide shows us. We're, we're a good ship, but we've been in dry dock. We've been being repaired and fixed up, and all the holes have been patched, and everything that needed to be brought up to speed and up to date has been done. And I believe we, we've been put back out to sea. I believe we're on the waters again. And we're flowing. And as we work together, as we've been, been doing, and we all share the vision, you know, it's not a one-man show. It's, it's a team now. We're a team. You know, we all got things to do. We all got positions and places to serve and to be a part of it. And if God continues to smile on us, I believe this next slide will be what we'll become as a fellowship. I believe God wants us to be up with power and that when we sail, people will take notice of what God has done in us and what he's given us as resources. There's enough resource in this room tonight to change the whole world. If it was in 12 men that were never educated, what is it in the room tonight where we've got the experience uh, that we have as a fellowship of churches? So dream with me. Have a vision with me that, that God wants us to be a battleship. Wants us to be a carrier. And and besides that, this is the USS Nimitz. When it was first built, it was built to survive 50 years with only one refueling. Is that what we are? Can we be that in the Lord? I believe we can. So you agree with me, will you? All right. I've got some outlines, and if I can have some of you here on the front row, some of you good-looking guys, come and help me. I've got these 50 outlines, so if you'll quickly pass those out. Help me out here, will you guys? Thank you. Everyone gets one. I think there'll be enough for everybody. Eventually here we'll have some fill-in-the-blank. How am I doing, Rini? Okay, all right. I appreciate that. All right, for the sake of time, there are uh, some scriptures here in First and Second Timothy and in the book of Acts. The, the scriptures in Timothy, Paul talks about some people who were difficult people. You, you remember some of their names, Hymenius, Alexander, these guys that caused him a lot of trouble. They were difficult people that caused Paul some difficulty. And uh, we we know from the scripture that he would pray about this and uh, even even turned them over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. Every one of us in this room that have been in ministry any length of time, you've faced some difficult people. I've entitled tonight, Kingpins and Belled Heifers. A kingpin is somebody who's in charge, and it's usually male gender. A belled heifer, we all know what a heifer is, don't we? That's a female cow or a cow. And uh, I don't, this didn't come from me. This was Dr. Pano, our founder. He used these terms. And the belled heifer, of course, if you were raised on a farm like I was, there was always one of the cows 
that was independent from all the other cows, and you put the bell on her so you knew where she was. And ours was called Rosie. So if there's any Rosies here, I apologize. All right? Rosie was our belled heifer. In Acts 15, we have the story of Paul and Barnabas. When they're getting ready to go out on, on a return to the churches that they've just ministered to, to find out what's going on and get a report, Barnabas believes they ought to take with them John Mark. And John Mark had messed up on the first trip. He had split from them. We're not sure why, what all of that was, but it upset Paul. The Apostle Paul did not see gray. The Apostle Paul was a black and white kind of a guy. You know, just there's no gray. Barnabas, however, saw mostly gray, that stuff. So he was willing to give John Mark a second chance, and Paul said, not under the circumstances, no, not going to happen. So now we find in Acts 15 the division, the, the, the disagreement between the two of them was so great in fact, the scripture says it was sharp. It was strong. They agreed to take a departure from one another, and therefore the Bible says that Paul took Silas, and they went their way, and then the scripture says Barnabas chose. It was, it was one of those. It was either one chose and the other took. If you take time to read it up in the Greek, you're going to find out that those two words are used because they're two different words in the Greek. Paul, in, in choosing Silas, decided this is the guy I want. He fits the bill, and therefore he'll be best qualified to do what I need him to do. However, that's not the word that's used for Barnabas taking John Mark. The word there for, for took John Mark means to teach means to educate, means to mentor. And I believe with all of my heart, though we're not told, we are told in Scripture that later on, Paul calls for John Mark because he says he's useful to me. All right, so you've got to ask yourself, what happened? What changed in all that? I believe the change was Barnabas. Barnabas could have taken John Mark and said something like this. You know that, Paul, he just don't know what he's doing. He thinks he's got the mind of God, but he really doesn't. You know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't deserve you. You come with me. We'll be a better team. We'll work this thing out. Forget about Paul. I don't think that's what Barnabas did. Now, first of all, we know that they were relatives. Barnabas probably was an uncle to him. And I think something like this took place. John, Mark, you blew it. And right now, Paul's not in any state to take you in. And that's okay, because you stay with me, and let's recognize God's called that man. God's got his touch upon that man. And if, if you'll be patient, and you'll learn, and you'll admit what you did wrong, and you'll learn from it, God will use you again. I think that's what happened. Because we also know in Scripture that Paul and Barnabas were still friends after all of that. All right, all of that being said, I want to give you some thoughts tonight on recognizing and restricting the unwanted influence of controlling people. Now, maybe you're married to one of those people. Or maybe you're one of those people. And here's the first thing. Look in the mirror. 
You must change how you react to people before you can change how you interact with them. Look in the mirror. It always starts there. You and I will agree that most of the problems that we have is not somebody else, it's us. And it may be that God has sent them there for a reason and put them in our life for a reason. Our founder, Bishop Pano, used to say it was a good thing that God hadn't answered all of his prayers or the altar would have been filled with dead bodies. Look at every one of these situations where you're dealing with difficult people from a different location, meaning perspective. Difficult people just want something different than we do. Is it possible your difficult people see you as their difficult person? So under recognition, that should be a Roman numeral one instead of a two. Uh, I've got some common tactics. You don't have these down there, but for example, some of the common tactics that are used are the bird dog. They point out issues they think the pastor should be addressing. Wet blanket, always place a negative on everything. The entrepreneur, that's the enthusiastic and usually the first person to meet visitors and then attempts selling them something. How about the captain bluster? a steamroller who flattens anyone in his way with his overwhelming certainty that his is the only way of doing it. Or the dollar dealer. He uses or she uses money to register approval or disapproval. The busybody who's telling everybody how to do their jobs but doesn't seem like they have one of their own to do. The sniper who avoids face-to-face conflict but picks off pastors with pot shots in private conversations the record keeper, the dealer of dung. That's the person who breeds dissatisfaction by attracting others who know he is more than willing to listen to and elaborate on the things that are wrong in the church. I'm sure you don't have anybody like that in your church. Or the legalist, uh, they concentrate on details, etc. Controlling people destroy enthusiasm the morale necessary for any church's health and growth. I've listed for you here, and we won't take time to go through them, but some of the common characteristics of controlling people. Controlling people use the strategy of planting questions in people's minds, personal attacks, which result in raising doubt about the pastor's competence, credibility, ministry, motives, and family. And controlling people use the strategy of plays for power political influence to sway decisions their way. In 34 years of working with churches, I have never, ever been a part of a church split over doctrine. It's always about authority and power and control. All right, fill in the blank. You ready? Number one, in if you're going to restrict controlling people, here's the way to do it. Build a cohesive church. And here's how you do it. Number one, encouraging a positive atmosphere. You have to do it all the time, everywhere, and repeat it. Encourage, encourage, encourage. And that's one of our responsibilities as equippers. Number two, the full employment in significant ministry. Ministering laity is a key to suppressing the controlling people element. 
spread out the responsibility. Let everyone use their talents and use their gifts and their abilities. Unfortunately, too many churches spend no time at all on determining what the gifts and the callings and the skills are of every uh, member in the church and then helping them to get into ministry where those can be fulfilled. Number three, reinforcing productive people. Number four, learn congregational values, building trust and healthy relationships before initiating change. What are the values in your congregation? Five, sharing outside interests other than the church. Number six, healthy churches are confident in their own identity. If we would be more concerned and more proactive in building healthy churches, we wouldn't have to worry about growth seminars. Number seven, effective boards. And here I've listed several things to do in building an effective board. First one is cultivating trust. The initiative for cultivating trust lies with the pastor. You've got to initiate that as a pastor, as the head minister. If they can't trust you, you're going nowhere. And all it takes is one stupid error to bring mistrust, and now it's going to take a lot longer to rebuild. Next, character development. Healthy boards selected for spiritual qualifications, not business acumen or seniority. And don't tell me it doesn't happen. It happens all the time. So an effective board will be a board of character. Common experience, again, read good books on leadership together with the board members and discuss them. There's plenty of books out there to discuss. And the truth of it is, if you would do that, you would cover everything that you need to cover in one book. And it would be through discussion, not, not lecture. Critical evaluations, periodic reviews of progress, both personally and corporately. Your meeting should be Christ-centered. Are we genuinely ministering to one another and being built up in our faith by one another, as well as open, being open, honest, and needy of support? I was open and honest with you tonight about my youngest daughter. You don't have any details. You don't need to because you can pray in the Holy Ghost. But I want you to know that I I face the same things you do. And when did I hear about it? Ten minutes before I come up here to preach. And then finally, constructive conflict. Are we as leadership actively dealing with personal conflict, resolving issues and growing our relationships? And are we together confronting the necessary people both privately and publicly? I hate to confront. I would rather walk away from it than do it. Maybe you're like that. Determining which attacks by controlling people are fair and not fair, here's some things to consider. Number one, consider the source. 
do they fully understand the issue and can they accept their share of responsibility? Are they truly well-intentioned? Do they truly want the best for the church? Are they a person of integrity? If they aren't, then you may, maybe you need to hold off on confrontation. Number two, consider the spirit in which the criticism is leveled. Come on, you, you can feel a spirit. You, you can, I felt the spirit when I walked in the room, the good spirit that's here. And you, you, you can walk into a restaurant. You can feel spirit. All right. Number three, consider anger a sign something more is involved. Hear it out. They are usually always underlying below-the-surface issues like problems at work, home, financial matters, personal pain, or recent loss that has produced unresolved anger the controlling person is not aware of. And guess where they take it out? In the church. Number four, consider concrete criticism more seriously. You know, stuff like, I'm not being fed. Or I'm not growing in the Lord here. Usually say more about the complainer than the church or the pastor. Number five, consider the criticism serenely. How many know I'm using all the same alliteration here? Serenely. In other words, delaying action may be necessary when you when you. Serenely, meaning when you really focus in on what's going on. Normally, controlling people come at the pastor on Sunday. So state that they may be right and set a time later in the week to meet. <laughs> but they get their dig. Be, be prepared for that. You should never walk in on a Sunday morning thinking that may not happen. You're better thinking it will happen, and then when it doesn't, hallelujah. <laughs> and again, God forbid that, that your belt heifer is your wife or you're the kingpin. Dr. Eric, <laughs> quote again the bishop, but bishop said the reason there were so many chapels started in the first few years of CMI around Fort Wayne was because he knew that all those guys who felt called to preach and plant churches, me being one of them, had the potential of becoming kingpins, so that was his way of getting us out of the church. Yeah, you, you might want to use that. That might be the way to resolve an issue. And then lastly, number six, complete your considerations speedily. Unresolved criticism must not be left indefinitely. The more serious the criticism, the board should be brought together with the controller which will help in evaluating the validity of the recurring critique, et cetera. And then, I don't, we don't have the time, but confronting the controller, obviously you're going to go through uh, the scripture. And I've given you three A's there, attitude. More damage can be done by our overreaction to the controlling person than the controller's statements. How we react. You know, can be more devastating than just, you know, for a while just letting it go and saying nothing. In fact, some of it, nothing will happen afterwards if you don't feed it. 
not everyone, but many of them. And then the uh, next day is atmosphere. If you are going to have a confrontational meeting, the atmosphere is important, and we talk about it here. And then finally, the approach, Matthew chapter 18. I am convinced the most neglected scripture by any Christian uh, in the world is Matthew 18. Number one, I'm going to suck this out of my thumb as a statistic, but I would venture to say that 99.9% of the time, most Christians never go to step one. They go to step two and three with never going to step one. Step one is you go to the person that offended you. No, we go to step two. We go to find somebody else, and we never take them to go talk to that person that we should have talked to first. We tell them the problem, and we exaggerate it, of course. We're telling our side, and now what we've done is we've offended them. They pick up on our offense, and that person who picks up on the other person's offense is worse than the guy who was offended. And then they go tell somebody else and so on and so forth, and churches split over that kind of garbage because we do not follow. And preachers, we're just as guilty. Don't tell me we're not. We are. We're offended by some other preacher, some other minister, and we call who? We don't call him or her. We call somebody else. And then it just adds to it. And here, here's, the, here's the unfortunate thing that happens Eventually down the line, maybe that offended person does go talk to that person, and they get it worked out, but he never goes to the 500 other people that he offended in the process. And they're still mad at that person. And, and we've seen in our own organization, we've seen churches split and ministries destroyed because of that, this problem not following Matthew 18. Lord, we've all got people that bother us. <laughs> And as we said, sometimes they're, they're right in our home. They're our family. They're our extended family. And uh, if we're not careful, it, it will really bring us trouble. So, Lord, speak to us by what we've shared tonight. And as we review these thoughts, speak to us then about people that we're dealing with in our local churches and ministries that, in the end, there's something going on deeper. It may be even way back to their childhood and hurt and abuse and angst that they have as a result of all of that, that, that you've put them in our life to, first of all, that we would minister to them, and number two, that you want us to see something about ourselves that we would never see without that person who's being exaggerated in an issue uh, in our life. So make us sensitive, we pray, Lord, and filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.